All right. So as we like to do here on the Men Up podcast, we like to start with a pep talk. And this episode, we have a very special guest joining us, artist and podcaster, JP Reynolds. So JP, what do you have that's been inspiring and motivating you during this time that you can offer the people? You know, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus of Nazareth said, don't give your pearls to pigs, which for me is just a matter of like, you know, listen, we've all got pearls. You have to be very intentional and very discerning with what to do with those pearls. We can't just be flinging them out to the abyss all the time. We may have to be more protective of the gems we have and of where we put them because, you know, pigs, as Jesus said, pigs will trample on the pearls, bringing you distress. We don't want no distress. We want peace. We want peace and power. Welcome to the Men Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Christian Shabu. Lamar Wombo in the house. And today we have our first guest of season two. He is an independent artist and the creator and host of Stir Crazy Podcast. Give it up for J.P. Reynolds, everybody. Let's make some noise for J.P. Reynolds. Let's, let's go, clap let's, it up, go. Clap it up. let's go. Our first guest, our first guest ever though, Shabu, like first guest ever of all time. This is the first time that we brought anybody on. So J.P., you should feel very, very special. I do, I feel very special. <laughs> J.P., you got dressed up for us. Like you, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, he want to act like he did it, but he definitely did. Listen, man, this is just, this is normal attire, baby. I don't know what you mean. And ain't nobody mad about it. Nobody's mad about it. I'm half R&B right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, full, I'm not full R&B. Full R&B is shirt full open, chest out, wind blowing. I'm I'm only half R&B right now. We're recording this at 10 in the morning, right? So if you're in the R&B vibe, wow. The secret is that I'm always in R&B vibes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Bruce Banner in, uh, in Avengers, where they're like, you should get angry. And I was like, no, the secret is I'm always angry. <laughs> You're always R&B. I'm always R&B, baby. <laughs> Your wife's like, turn it down, man. Just for, just for a day. Just turn it down. JP, Lamar was saying that you should feel honored that you're our very first guest. <laughs> we feel incredibly honored. As we were preparing for season two here and talking about who do we want for guests, Lamar and I, the very top person on our list, both of us, is you and, and and our fandom for you is just like through the roof and we just talk about how you are our favorite performer like you are the best performer that either one of us has ever seen live so so thank you for joining us that tells me that you may not have seen many performances live. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no, thank you no, i appreciate that that means a lot i appreciate that we go back about eight years now my very first interaction with you was you were actually a performer for a student event that we had in New Haven, Connecticut at the time. I think you were still in divinity school. I think I was. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Wow. Yo, it was a long time ago. And I remember we're in this cafeteria in this small school and you just pop up. And of course we did a little bit of an introduction, like one of our staff members at the time, George, also co-founder of Men Up. Shout out to George Black, y'all. And he, he knew you and introduced you briefly. And you just like, you got up and were just spitting fire. And I, I couldn't talk for like 10 seconds ever. I was, I was like, wait a second, what just happened here in a small cafeteria in New Haven, Connecticut? I'm grateful that you responded with what just happened here. That's, 
that's my barometer for whether or not it was a good time, right? If, if I did my full full job. So take us through a little bit, like what has your journey been to those early beginnings as a performer? I know you were performing even before the first time we met, right? But but early on in your career to to now where you're at, what are some things you'd identify for folks as as part of your path and your journey as an artist and now podcaster? I actually remember this time when I was in church and I was like maybe three or four, and I, my mother was a choir director of our children's choir. And the children's choir were singing in like the balcony at a service. And I wanted to sing the solo, but there were other people who didn't want me to sing the solo because I was too short to be seen over the balcony. <laughs> so my mother let me do it. But I remember this. I was like, I want to I want to do this. I want to do it. I want to do this. Solo. I want to do the solo. And then when you encountered me in New Haven, when you encountered each other, that was I was probably at our like 5000 for being a performer at that point. That was a period of time where I was saying yes to everything. Yeah. Somebody, somebody asked me to come perform in a back alley in Brooklyn. I'm like, yes, I'm coming. Right. Like, you know, like, it didn't matter. I was like, I'm saying yes. I'm getting these reps in. I have something to say. I want to share it. And, you know, I, thankfully, folks like you provided the opportunity for me to do that. And I'm super grateful for, for anybody who offered the opportunity, especially in that point where I was, you know, just trying to get my feet wet. People often ask me, what instrument do I play after I tell them I'm a music artist? And I respond with, I play my voice in my body. Yeah. Right. So even that understanding has, has evolved since that time when I performed in New Haven. So to that end, right, I have extensions of my voice in my body. So I perform with a live band now. And a couple years after that, that, that time in New Haven, I put my, I tried to put my money where my mouth is. So I did a crowdfunding campaign, raised, raised some money to do an album and like step out. I was like, I got to step out. I need folks to know I'm for real about this. I need to, at that point, it was really, that was a mixtape era in hip hop. It was the, the music industry itself was all over the place. It was a wild, wild west. So I was like, I'm, I'll just do an indie. If y'all need to take a masterclass on how to do crowdfunding, y'all need to talk to JP Reynolds because <laughs> this man has ran so many crowdfunding campaigns that have got him the money he needs to produce and create the work that in the art that he wants to put out in the world. It really is amazing, but I think that's, more of a shout to like his surroundings and the people that he puts around him. Yeah. Like it's hard to become an artist. It's hard to become a professional athlete. Like it's hard to become like a, a super well-paid motivational speaker, well-known. Like at what point did you have to admit to yourself that you were an artist? By trade or by craft, I'm a rapper. Even though you know, I do other things with my voice, I perform in a way that rap is not normally performed. But I'm a, I'm a rapper, right? And I come from the hip hop tradition. I'm very passionate about hip-hop culture and black culture and how the two meet so before college i went to yale that's why i was in new haven that's how i ended up in new haven and before college that's a, you know it's absurd to like go to yale but want to be a rapper like that's not a thing that usually people think about or or cosign so there was a lot of hesitation for me to assume that identity early but I will say when I was a senior in undergrad, I wrote a, my senior essay was on the collision between art and social movement. So I had found a cache of letters between Dr. King and Langston Hughes. And I went to the AU Center in Atlanta. I was in Boston. I was at the Beinecke Library at Yale. And like, I found these string of letters that, between them. And I was like, this is the impact that art has on social movements is undeniable. And I've always been called to say something and to contribute to 
our world and human rights and contribute to black liberation. So for, for a long time, that was actually the entry point for me. It was like, how do I contribute? How, what is the way that I can be on that journey? Sure. So that's the wheel really, right? Being an artist is to some degree a cog on the wheel. An undergrad, I was in a poetry group and people responded, man, I got the home. I got to hear the home from an audience when I said something or just people expressing that they were impacted or were touched or were moved by something I said or how I showed up on stage. I've been told I have stage presence since I was like 11 years old and I never understood what that meant. I still don't feel, I'm like, I don't know, like, what does that mean? Like, what is that? I don't, is, is that just like a gift? Because people were saying that and I didn't I don't know what that means. It's the coming on a podcast with the R&B swag. That's what the stage <laughs> presence is. It's the full R, the half R. <laughs> the thing that I don't often talk about, but in grad school, my second year in grad school, I actually was signed to a label. It was an upstart label. Again, this was a wild, wild west in music though. So nobody knew what was really happening. The streaming was relatively new. It was we were right at the, kind of the end of the mixtape era. SoundCloud was a big thing. So that kind of, that felt validating in terms of like my decision to become an artist. It's like, oh, these industry people are interested in me as an artist. Maybe this is something that could be real. Didn't work out. I learned a lot in terms of business, in terms of how folks move, in terms of what's necessary to create a thing. But yeah, man, that, that, that is a decision or that as an identity is something I have to tell myself over and over again, especially as an independent artist. So JP, you started off you have roots and foundation in the church you then are a hip-hop artist early on in i'm guessing your teenage years you then go to yale one of the most prestigious schools in our country right where you're both continuing to pursue being a hip-hop artist in some ways maybe some r&b vibes maybe some gospel vibes <laughs> right also also at that time like playing football for a little bit you then go to divinity school so like my point here is that you are not in a box, right? I think a lot of times like folks want to put an artist, put people in general in a box. Like this is who you are. This is what you do. Yeah. How important is that to you not being put in a box as an artist? And what does that mean for your definitions of success? Hearing it back to myself is like, oh, wow, you've been successful because you have not been put in a box. I remember when I was in high school and I went to a, you know, I went to a prep school in upstate New York and I played baseball, I played football, I played basketball, and you know, I was a multi-letter I was a multi-varsity letterman for three sports for all all of high school. And I remember one of my but I also was like a poet and I was like acting. And this is stuff that at my high school people never did. When I first got to that prep school, I'm from Mount Vernon, New York. I grew up, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Moved to Mount Vernon, New York when I was young. Mount Vernon, New York is known as a city that is a basketball powerhouse in New York State, right? Ben Gordon is from Mount Vernon. Money earning. Four square mile city, but from that four square mile city, in the in, you know, especially in the hip in the high school demographic of basketball playing, a lot of great athletes come out of Mount Vernon. So when I first get to the school I went to the, the prep school I went to, one of the first things anybody said to me once I got there, and this happened like on the school seal, which was imprinted on the ground, right? This is in eighth grade. <laughs> the kid, this kid came up to me. And this is a predominantly white, upper-class school, right? My, my culture shock happened in eighth grade instead of at, in college. He came up to me, he's like, oh, you're the new kid here for basketball, right? And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> How about to? It's like, first of all, I got recruited for baseball. 
not basketball. <laughs> you stereotype of OD. Right. I'm, a, I'm about to do everything. I'm about to be in jazz band. I'm about to be in quiet. I'm about to be in all the AP classes. And I'm going to crush your ass on the basketball court. So. <laughs> <laughs> just because just, you said that. Now I'm going to go you, do it. Just, 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 uh, just off GP, right? So, you know, the, the, the origins of this super Negro syndrome, as I now call it, which I'm now trying to unlearn, you know, the, the origins find themselves at that, that type of mentality, that type of backdrop. But the free liberating part of it is that I just don't like boxes. And whether or not that kid said that to me, I feel like I still would have wanted to fly beyond people's expectations and fly and just do what I was curious about doing. Chip in a Bottle is the official sponsor of season two of the Men Up podcast. Y'all know that this season is focused on what we've learned from this challenging year that we can take with us. And for Daryl Nurse, founder and master chocolatier, it's that same spirit that has allowed him and Chip in a Bottle to not just survive, but thrive. So Daryl, although people can find Chip in a Bottle online, it's primarily coming into the store is the way that they experience Chip in a Bottle. So what are some of the decisions you had to make during this pandemic to make sure that Chip in a Bottle survived? I remember in the beginning when we were facing this pandemic, I was working as a physical therapist and and working as well in the store in order to maintain the you know uh, the cash flow and maintain people's jobs kind of scared us so we made a lot of changes just like everybody else you know we weren't getting as much walking traffic so reducing the amount of cookies we made or brownies or um, let's say dipped pretzels for example which is more of a walk-in product we reduced those and we also shifted to making things on demand as opposed to just making it and hoping someone would walk in and purchase it we reduced how many offerings we had how often we would make it as well too just making sure that people were getting the best product they can get. Visit chipinabottle.com to get any of the dozens of unique flavors shipped to you or your loved ones. Tune in next week to hear how Chip in a Bottle is taking its business and its taste to the next level. So JP, you started to talk a little bit earlier about the pandemic, right? And some shifts you've had to make some pivots, right? And I imagine right before the pandemic, you know, you had rap gumbo, you had the kitchen tour, and then all of a sudden this pandemic hits. And for all artists that are out there trying to do shows, whether you're on a stage doing a play or you're on a stage holding a concert, that didn't exist anymore, right? And so I'm wondering for you, like what have you had to do in this time over the last year to pivot in order to still continue to be successful in, in your own terms? What have you had to do over this last year? Yeah, definitely a pivot that came. Let me also just say a little bit more about right before the pandemic because I I legit thought I was, I was like, oh, this is it. This is the this is the thing, right? The kitchen tour. Well, there's more to it that I don't often talk about. So I was on two different tours. So I was on the kitchen sessions tour, which was slated to go. I was gonna do once a week for the whole year. So that tour was gonna go from October 2019 to October 2020, right? So I had I had dates booked up through June for the kitchen sessions tour, but I was also on a college tour. So my father has a company called American Legacy. American Legacy is a, a brand that celebrates African-American history and culture. It's been doing so for like over 25 years. There's a mobile experience, trucking, there's a mobile trucking experience experience that pretty much leads the way for the brand right now. 
and we were doing college tours. I was also performing on the truck at the colleges in addition to doing kitchen sessions. March 13th, like I was, I was supposed to be in at Bowie State. So the Sunday before March 12th, I meet Sway from Sway in the Morning. Wow. Right? We were like in lines for the crepes, right? Because they were the crepes were made to order. So I'm in line behind Sway. And I'm like, yo, just want to introduce myself. Because here's the thing. The, the cat who produced Guavimatic Space Dream from my hometown, Mount Vernon, works with Sway. He's like, yo, you know, you know, Rod the producer? I'm like, yeah, I know him. That's my guy. He produced my album. He was like, yo, come out to my table. Let's chop it up for a second. He like invites me on his show. But coronavirus happens. And on Tuesday that week, the tour gets shut down. It's like the tour is over. The tour is postponed indefinitely. We don't know it's going to come back. So when that happens, I'm like, oh, well, let me hit up Sway and say yes to the invitation. So I hit up his people. I'm like, oh, the tour got canceled. I'm actually now available on Friday. She's like, all right, great. Um, this is the information, blah, blah, blah. And then on Wednesday, she lets me know I'm going to be on with the Soul Rebels. Because, you know, usually when people are on Sway, you see them in the, in the studio at the booth and they're spitting. But I'm like, I'm getting ready. I'm like, I'm ready, right? But then she's like, oh, you're going to actually be on with a live band. So I'm like, I'm going to be on with a band? Oh, it's, it's, it's over. Like, I'm, what? Right? That's, my, that's really my bread and butter. I'm literally rehearsing, just practicing, just being ready for whatever's happening Friday morning. Thursday night, sorry to let you know, the building we shoot in is shutting down because of the virus. We will have to postpone. And that shifted everything. At first, I, I pivoted towards like the virtual shows and I was doing virtual kitchen sessions for a couple months. And I was just getting like brands online to host kitchen sessions. So I did pivot towards, I did keep doing live shows, but I was doing it from my own kitchen. So I was, you know, instead of going to other people's kitchens, having them invite their 15, 20 friends, I was just doing Instagram lives and, you know, I had like Black and Green hosted, my friend from Black and Green hosted or Soul Care Collective or Unearth and Bloom, just like people who are friends of mine who, you know, there's, there's a synergy with the vibe we create. I was doing virtual sessions. And then that just, that was really difficult because I'm, I really, really like being in front of people. I like being with people in physical form. And the virtual sessions was really hard. And that like, because you're performing for a screen now and there's emojis popping up instead of actual energy in the room. It's just different. And it's, it was weird at first because I'm like, how, I'm like performing and like, I have a very internalized style of performance. Like everything's coming from inside of me and just going out and expressing. I'm not watching people really. I'm like... I, I'm I'm feeling people. I'm engaged with the the human energy in the room, but I'm not like watching for reactions and do, I'm not doing all of that. But online, it's like I'm like I'm trying to read the comments in the bottom. I'm like, what are they saying? Do something again? Uh, I'm like, this is it, it's weird, right? Right. You don't you don't get to feel that hum that you were talking about earlier. There's no hum. There's no hum because you're I'm in my kitchen by myself <laughs> dancing. <laughs> feeling guilty that I'm taking up so much space in my house. My wife, she can't get no water because I'm <laughs> I got the light and the camera in front of the refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was a mess, right? But I'm like, well, you know what? I'm doing it for the culture. I'm keeping the vibe going, blah, blah, blah. And then I took some time and then I, I created a I created a music album. And this was all before the blow up of June, right? Um 
that we had the, the iter this iteration of the social justice movement of Black Lives Matter movement. I you know I, I made an album with Bach Troy called Stir Crazy because I was going stir crazy. Like let me reflect the times and the type of artistry I'm called to, which is the Nina Simone tradition, which is like artist's responsibility is to reflect the times. And shout out to Bach Troy as well. Shout out to Bach Troy, yeah. So I made it, we made this album called Stir Crazy. We're promoting it and. I got word that like one of the best ways to promote a, a thing right now, try to do something that adds value to people in addition to what your music is providing. So I came up with the idea to do a stir crazy festival, which was an online Instagram live wellness festival, everything from spiritual wellness to financial wellness, to consumer wellness, to physical wellness, to motivational wellness, which is what Lamar talked about. We just, I just had conversations over the course of two days. And it was great. I mean, I think it was really, really dope the way it came out. And that was the beginning of the pivot of how else I can, I can contribute to our society to, to be that person who's, you know, peace and power and liberation, all of that, like interesting ideologies that I agree with and that I'm aligned with that people are much better equipped to speak towards, right? So folks who are actual leaders in abolition conversations, folks who are actual leaders in in financial literacy spaces, folks who are actual leaders in education spaces, right? These are all things I care about, but I'm not always the, the most equipped to talk with the most authority on it, but I happen to know folks who are. So let's get them on the line. Let's have them talk. Let's give them a, a microphone and a speakerphone and let's, yo, I'll ask you some questions and facilitate conversation, but let's talk about it. Let's get it out there. What if I started a podcast? <laughs> what if I, what if I, you know, translated those original conversations from the festival into a podcast and then kept having those types of conversations? And then the, that's when the pivot came. When I was like, I took some time off, I took a break and I came up with a new idea. That's what happens sometimes, right? We're tired. We don't have the space or capacity to be creative or imaginative. I take a break. What you just described, JP, sounds like a three-year journey and it happened in one year. That's 2020 for you, man. That's, I feel like everybody, <laughs> so I feel like everybody in 2020 has a three-year journey over so the course of For real. For real, for real. I want to preface my next question by letting y'all know that your boy, um, wasn't always as awoken, awakened, alive, seeing clearly uh, for the liberation of Black people. Um, and just, I was not always as in tune that I like to think that I am now. When I was just getting, coming from Nebraska, moved to New York City, and I was coming out of an environment that was like, we're post-racial. This is not how it is in America anymore. And I lived that and I showed up that way and uh, I was met with some resistance and uh, JP and I had lunch. I'll never forget it um, at uh, Harlem. Is it Harlem Shake? Harlem Shake. And we sat there for like three hours and he basically like put me on game as to why systemic racism is real, alive and well. Um, and so I just wanted to get your assessment of like where we are in the liberation of black people, but also just like, where are we going next as you see it? Ooh, oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do we have another hour? Are we just gonna go for another hour? There's always good news. I'm a, per I'm a believer in, in gospel. I'm a believer in good news. The good news is that 
a lot more truth has come out and that a lot more people, when I say a lot more, I mean non-Black folk, a lot more people are willing to grapple with the realities of history and the realities of the present. A lot more people are willing to grapple. Doesn't mean they're grappling with it. Doesn't mean that they're actually doing that work, but they're willing to grapple, right? I think that's the good news. The good news is also that there's certain language in our social and political discourse that is more readily employed than ever before, right? Like the current, the sitting president of the United States has used the word systematic racism in speeches. Right. That five years ago, that would have been crazy. We are, man, this is also fraught with like a stratified sense of actually trueness. But another piece of the good news is that research is differently engaged with, I think, at this point too, right? The way we use social media, the way we use the internet, by my estimation, is is expounded and expanded upon. That's part of the good news. There's a flip side to that, which is also part of the, the, the more troubling news. Breakthroughs that I think may have happened in 2020, which was a collision course for that, right? We were on a collision course for the, for the types of breakthroughs we had in 2020 because of the economic upheaval, because of the healthcare disparities that were front and center, because of the racial tension that we saw in the streets every day for a long, streets on fire, the political, just, we, we can name all the things. For all of that, that we, for all of that breakthrough we had, to some degree, we have been disarmed. Mm. We have been disarmed by, I mean, what feels like peace. And I can't say that there's peace when there is no peace. Some of those breakthroughs have become trivialized and we have, we've almost sanitized some of those things where it's like popular, it's sexy now to be woke. Mm. Let me put it this way. I don't trust everybody who says that they believe certain things now because right now it's, it's expedient to do so. Sure, beneficial. It's beneficial. Capitalistic. It's capitalistic, and that's part of the problem. So we, we just got clear on two things there, JP. One, we still got a lot of work to do. Two, you're coming back for another episode because we, we now have another hour and a half to talk. Um, but, but I'm wondering, JP, you know, the way that we're framing season two here for the Men Up podcast is, is all around what are we learning or what have we learned during the pandemic? And we focused on like specific areas of our life for each episode. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, based on what you just shared, whether it was around your own pivots that you had to make as an artist, or as we're talking about the reckoning that has happened of sorts around the oppression of black people and ultimately the, the freedom of black people. And I would argue of all people, once we can actually bring about that kind of freedom, like what are you taking from this past year? What have you learned or what are you learning that you're going to bring to your artistry moving forward or just to the way that you lead your life moving forward as we start to you know, transition slowly out of this pandemic. What are you going to take with you moving forward? One thing is my wife is a creative as well. And I'm, you know, I'm partnered with another, with a woman who's incredibly gifted, really brilliant. Also just working to live into her purpose and to what 
she's been told to say and all of that. And one thing we always talk about is it may not always look like what you thought it was going to look like. You no, know, that requires a pivot. That requires perspective. That requires patience. That requires flexibility. And that's something that I've really taken on and trying to just be open to divine timing, open to what spirit is saying and what, and, and just being open to how things are unfolding. The other piece I would say is that there's a, a theologian named Katie Cannon, who was pretty much the founder of womanist theology, which is a response and kin sibling to Black liberation theology. And she has something real short that just has inspired me deeply. Just do the work your soul must have. Mm. I think a lot of times we we hear do the work, but it's different when you tackle on that, that your soul must have, because then that work may look like not doing work. Yeah. And you said it earlier as well, pur- purpose driven work. I ho- I wish that for, you know, I hope that for all folks and everybody doesn't have that privilege. That's a, that's to some degree of privilege, right? Absolutely. To be able to do that type of work because folks got to eat. We live in a world where you have to eat and you have to sometimes do work your, your soul don't want yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to eat, right? One of the things we like to do here on the Men Up podcast is we have a segment called the Outlet Pass, which is where we typically offer up any resources, people, ideas that have allowed us to level up for our episode and our life in general. But we're going to riff on that a little bit here and would love to get some recommendations uh, in a couple different areas from you uh, to for folks to level up, whether it's creatively, spiritually, however it is. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a couple here and then whatever comes to you as a recommendation, we'll cool. put it in the show notes. Share it with the people. So, so what's one book you'd recommend for people to read right now? I would recommend a book called The Go-Giver. What about a song or an album? Stir Crazy by J.P. Reynolds and Bok Choy. There it is. That's that independent artist hustle. There it is. I would also say uh, The Eternal Boombox by the Juju Exchange. Love that project. Love that project. I would also say Prism by Kyra Hassel. These are other artists that I'm close with these are also artists who are featured on my podcast movie people should see oh man judas and the black messiah hell yeah yeah that's yeah oh man we could probably do another episode on that we probably could <laughs> and after you watch the movie go and watch the fred hampton just go 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 vibe with fred hampton for a minute after you watch the movie i hope it takes you down a rabbit hole and then finally podcast well you should le- keep listening to the men up podcast that's for sure and you should definitely check out the Stir Crazy podcast hosted by me. I just got a lot of great guests on there, a lot of great combos that I've been having. It's been a good journey. We appreciate you, JP. Thank you for coming on the Men Up podcast. And please come back anytime to help us level up in this time and as we move forward together to redefine and thrive. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, y'all. This is good stuff. Appreciate y'all. The Men Up podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.